The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen up. Hey, it's Brandon. Time to wrap up by Gnarl, everybody. Another season has come and gone. Things are actually opening up now. Vaccines are getting out. People are lying about getting them just so they don't have to wear masks. And concerts are on the horizon again. And so it looks like we're actually going to see Pearl Jam this year, or at least people going to Ohana and uh, what does it see here now? But those are festivals, so who knows if it counts or not, but it is Pearl Jam. The sets are probably going to be very, like what, greatest hits, festival sets trying to appeal to people who aren't hardcore Pearl Jam fans, that sort of stuff. So maybe just... uh one or two songs from Gigaton instead of what they would normally do on the actual album tour, which is, you know, play a bunch of it. But hey, some some people aren't complaining. I'm not going to complain. I'm, I'm definitely not going to those shows, though. I don't think festivals are my scene. You know, I'm a 40, 40-something-year-old guy, so hanging out all day in the sun and everything like that, just not, uh, not my, my jam. It could possibly be mostly the uh, the public toilet situation. You know, I I go to work, and there's some people who will regularly just on schedule take dumps at work and stuff like that. And you know, okay, I guess that's your body's schedule or whatever. And you know, that certain time you just you just gotta go. You when you gotta go, you gotta go. But public restroom. Toilet paper is just the fucking worst. I don't know. Like, I have trained myself so that I'm only going when I'm at home. I go before I go to work, and I'll go, like, after I get home or go to bed, whatever. I'm sure that nobody wants to hear this, but I don't know. It just fascinates me. (laughs) How It's just, oh my gosh, it's just destroying your ass. I don't know. I mean, fuck. I don't know why I'm talking about this. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's the season finale, so I'm just rambling on about nothing. So let's 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 get back on target here, and uh, I guess start the the talk about binaural in the season and everything. Welcome to the Better Band Podcast. You can't find a better band than Pearl Jam, and you can't find a better dad than my daddy. Oh, thank you, Rory. Here's your candy. Yay! So, first things first, I would like to thank some people. Of course, all of you listening, and also my guests for this season. I would like to thank Randy Sobel and John Farrar from the Live on Four Legs podcast, Joseph Rose from the Grunge podcast, Jason Leung, the author of This All-Encompassing Trip Chasing Pearl Jam Around the World, Patrick Bogle, Jeff Bonato. Curtis Hames, Bradley Pisecki, Thomas Gregory, Chris Thomas, Eddie Quintana, Kevin Lassard, Jason Carapesi, and Paul Gillieri from the State of Love and Trust podcast, and Deborah McMurtry. And while I'm thanking people, I also need to thank Ryan Shepard and again Bradley Pisecki and Bob Remington because they had donated to my Kofi 
at ko-fi.com slash b-r-a-n-d-e-n-p is where people can leave me a little tip for doing this podcast, a little thank you monetarily, and I have been taking that money and directly, directly donating that to the Northern Nevada Food Bank. Uh, This season, I got together along with their donations and some of my own money, $65 to donate to that organization. And uh, people who do that get a little bonus from me. I have uh, one so far little kind of bonus episode. And anybody who has donated money to me gets that. And uh, any other future bonus episode projects I have in the future, uh, hey, guess what? All you have to do is uh, give me money once and you're in the pipeline forever. And so now it is time for letters and reviews. Oh yeah, the favorite part of any podcast where podcast hosts get to celebrate themselves, which is really what podcasting is all about, people. And of course, what you're all here for. I don't have a letters theme song or anything, so hey, I just use that generic uh, kids cheering sound that everybody has loaded into their computers. So let's start with a letter from past guest Chris Thomas. You may remember him from such episodes as Grievance this season. He writes to me, Hey Brandon, my stepmother-in-law shared our episode with a friend of hers. She forwarded me this message he sent back to her. I thought you may want to read it. And then this is the message. So, very meta. Hello, Nicole. Very pleased to hear from you. We are doing well. I listened to the podcast and was very impressed with the awareness, historical knowledge, and political and racial perspective of Chris Thomas. In regards to social injustices, BLM, police engagement with people of color, equal rights and humanity, etc., he gets it. Thumbs up emoji. I was able to relate to the song and message of Grievance. Some historical context, in 1968, Olympic protest is a pivotal period in our American history. I have that symbolic imagery posted in my basement wall above the prophetic words of one of my favorite humanitarian and social activist writers, James Baldwin. Over 50 years later, I did not think we would be in a period of history addressing an insurrection at our capital, voter rights suppression, ongoing police brutality, Rodney King over 20 years ago to George Floyd's murder today. Regrettably, I have to continue the talk with my grandsons and great-grandsons and daughters about how to survive interaction or engagement with the police. I'm a firm supporter of dedicated and good service-minded police officers. My great-great-uncle was taken from the jail while in custody of police and lynched along with two other innocent black men in 1906 in my hometown for allegedly speaking to a white woman. About five years ago, a monument was erected on the public square as a tribute to the three innocent black victims. Later in 1906, the white woman recanted her story after the three innocent men were lynched by a bomb of over 4,000 terrorists. One of my close friends was shot in the back in 1970 while trying to purchase milk at midnight from a corner drugstore for his two-year-old baby. The police officer was a trigger-happy, overreactive, easily intimidated, Barty Fife-type police officer who feared a black man with a big afro haircut. My father, a World War II veteran, escaped three attempted lynchings during the 1940s in North and South Carolina, twice while wearing the uniform of the United States Army, once because he could not get off the sidewalk to let a white man pass. He survived several encounters with the police later in his life, 
1960 to 1980s, trying to get home to his family at night after working three jobs. The police often, out of boredom, stopped, with cause, to harass him. Not uncommon in the black experience living in America. DWB, driving while black. JWB, jogging while black. WWB, walking while black. I have my own experiences that I had to endure and survive to not end up being another black statistic. While employed as an employment coordinator and affirmative action consultant with the Department of Labor during the late 1970s, I attempted to recruit for the local police department to no avail. My mother, being a black woman, could not vote until after the 1964-1965 voting rights bill was passed. After over 20-25 marches, demonstrations, boycotts, and sit-ins, I find it as a insulting and a tragedy as a black American that we are still addressing voter suppression issues. The year is 2021. I was a civil rights activist for over 50 years. Now today, my wife and I are going to have to resume our civil and human rights activities with coalition and solidarity among our black, brown, Asian, indigenous, and progressive white brothers and sisters, all united in humanity. I've been a devoted reader of social activist James Baldwin for over 50 years. I just finished reading and strongly recommend recent books to my friends by white female activist, author, lecturer Robin D'Angelo, titled White Fragility, Why It Is So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism and black social activist Professor Michael Eric Dyson's 2020 book, Long Time Coming, Reckoning with Race in America. Professor Dyson addresses his book posthumously in letter format to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Aubrey, and about five to six other deceased victims of racism in America. He discusses race and the systematic structure of power, entitlement, and comfort in our country. I'm going to watch Richard Engel's On Assignment special tonight at 9 p.m. on MSNBC Cable about the January 6th insurrection attack on our capital by extremist groups. Over 60 U.S. courts and the Republican Attorney General Barr that ruled that the 2020 election was fair, the insurrection resulted from the big lie that the election was stolen. A reality check, the attack was by terrorists who do not like the changing demographics in our country, the shift in power and control by the ballot, not the bullet. So they wanted to say that votes by people of color in key swing states should not count. Now, we have over 200 bills in over 49 states to change voting laws to negatively impact the vote of communities of color. I concur with many that this is a pivotal period in our history. Our democracy versus an authoritarian state is at stake. Last week, our Biden administration director for the Center of Disease Control cites the number one threat to our health and democracy is not the pandemic, but racism. Thank you for sharing the podcast. It is refreshing and hopeful that enlightened people like Chris Thomas comprehends the magnitude of this constitutional crisis in our history and is committed to being activists to bring about change. Forced to endure what I could not forgive, Chris. And of course, if you recognize Chris Thomas from other Pearl Jam podcasts where he writes in letters, that's how he ends his letter, not the person that sent the letter to his mother-in-law. I don't think he uh, maybe listens to Pearl Jam or uh, <laughs> has that uh, reference to the uh, rearview mirror. One of the things that always comes up in the circles talking about racial injustice and when talking about the book White Fragility is that, you know, it's a white woman talking about race for white people and about how, you know, that's not really the voice people should be trying to, to, to seek out and to listen to because it's not who this stuff is happening to. And you need to listen to the voices of the people who are oppressed, the people who don't have those voices being heard because they're the ones that are being impacted. You know, they're the victims. They're, uh, they are the, the, the aggrieved parties in that, uh, you know, 
listening to white people listening to another white person talk about this stuff, I guess is a little bit more palatable uh, for, you know, white audiences and stuff like that, because you're not going to dismiss it outright because it's like, oh, black people tell me I'm racist. Oh, I'm not racist. Blah, 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 blah. Whereas, you know, white person saying, hey, you know, hey, this is what we do. And so I don't know if it comes off as inauthentic. Uh, I mean, you know, any work you're doing in that arena is work. And, you know, hopefully it helps and it brings you to a better understanding and a better place in life as far as being aware of and being willing to try to dismantle white supremacy. You know, it just feels different when, you know, say you're listening to Pearl Jam's WMA, you know, a white guy talking about something that, you know, he saw and everything like that, as opposed to, say, um, Rage Against the Machine's Killing in the Name, which, you know, going back to the police, as mentioned in the letter a lot of times when there was, uh, you know, lynchings and stuff like that that occurred after uh, somebody had been apprehended and was in jail, the, you know, police were in on it and opened up the jail cell and said, okay, you know, here you go. And, you know, the people kind of demanding that would sometimes be police officers and stuff like that as well. So, you know, there you go. Not to say that, you know, everybody's like that or it's still 100% like that, but I mean, it's not less than, I would say, uh, 50%. So going on averages here. Anyway, um, the next letter I have here is from Thomas Gregory from the Of The Girl episode. He wrote back and said to me, great job this season, Brandon, as always. Binaural at first to me sounded a bit cold and murky. I thought it was buried a little bit too much in the mix in comparison with, say, Yield. As I discovered, though, this album rewards repeated listening and also being played pretty loud, or at least with decent headphones, of course. The details can be lost otherwise in the murkiness, but crank it and the album will spread out and the nuances will go full blue steel for you, especially on tracks like Nothing As It Seems, Of The Girl, or Parting Ways. This might also be why I enjoy these tracks live so much. It's definitely a grower as an album, but still a rewarding one. Adding Sad, Education, and Fatal in there would have probably made this a classic, but maybe that would have been a $10 gallon of milk and would have just been too much. P.S. And I meant to mention on Of The Girl and my daughter read of it, it reminded me of the Johnny Depp movie Blow. Not a top-tier movie, but in the end, his imprisoned character has a moment with his daughter. This ending makes me think the song character could have been like this, daydreaming his way through his prison time, aka his getaway. And uh, speaking of, of the girl, in my next letter, there is some uh, reference to that too from Alex Hogard. I'm guessing on how you say that last name. I'm sorry, Alex. I guess I'll just have to have you on and then you can uh, school me on how to pronounce your name. Anyway, he writes, hi, Brandon. For me, Binaural seems to be a record that splits opinion among the fan base. Some rank it very highly in the band's discography, whereas others place it towards the bottom. I feel some may struggle to get on board with it, as some of the content may seem too close to home for some fans, perhaps bringing up memories of relationship breakdowns or struggles with depression. It was the band's darkest record to date, and it could be argued it still holds that title. In terms of lyrical content, it marks a return to more personal lyrics that were seen in the first three albums, after which Eddie had remarked he wanted to be more impersonal, with no code and yield rather than open himself up. I was interested to hear yours and Thomas's thoughts about Of The Girl, 
for me, I've often wondered if this is about Andy Wood. Aside from the obvious references to the lyrics in the liner note are to a certain drug, there's also other connections one can make with the lyrics. Half his life a hand-me-down, he was the youngest of three brothers. He left it alone, could be a reference to him getting clean before Mother Love Bone's debut was released. Money to buy, could be a nod to the money received from the record deal. He chose a path, heavy the fall, could be referencing that he knew what would happen if he continued using, and is also referenced in Crown of Thorns with the line, he who rides the pony must someday fall. Quarter to four comes after the fall, possibly referencing waiting in the hospital for news of the inevitable. And in the line after quarter to four, the character fills his nights with the thought of a girl, whereas earlier in the song, the character fills it up rather than just thinking of doing so. Could be slang term for the drug rather than to a female character. Also in Pearl Jam 20, Jeff states that Andy was never really comfortable with who he was, and him using drugs was a way of getting away from it. Could be that how he makes his getaway as it is in the song. It was easier to arrive at this conclusion with it being a Stone song. Aside from Jeff, had any other member of the band written it, my mind wouldn't have gone to it being about Andy, as the album was released two months after the 10th anniversary of his passing. He was clearly on their minds, as later evidenced in the debut of Crown of Thorns in Las Vegas that year. Overall, Binaural maintains a relevance to this day. Songs such as Rival are still sadly relevant, and could easily have been written 20 plus years on. Sleight of Hand is another example of a song that will be relevant to almost anyone who listens to it. Even those with the most interesting of jobs will have days when they wake up and not want to go into the routine of life. As with many Pearl Jam albums, there's hints as to what's to come. More political songs such as Insignificance and Grievance lay the foundation for the politically charged riot act. Thanks to you and all the guests for another great season. Alex Hogard. The drug angle uh, slash Andy Wood angle is very interesting especially uh, in context of, you know, just doing the Crown of Thorns episode a couple weeks ago, and um, Andy having his uh, fiancé girlfriend muse, Zena LaFuente, referenced or sort of being the inspiration for that song. And then also, uh, you know, the word heroin can also mean a female hero. So girl in the title, you know, of the girl could be some sort of reference uh, to that. So it's all it's all very interesting, all these uh, interpretations and stuff, and that's why I like talking to everybody, as I mention, you know, all the time. Mostly because I uh, don't talk to people <laughs> all that much, especially about Pearl Jam, just like everybody else does, or most everybody, except, you know, standing in line at the Pearl Jam concert, or if you happen to be on the forums or Facebook groups or anything like that. So I guess it is time to break down binaural after having uh, gone through it all. So let's uh, let's take a look at it and, and wrap this all up. Uh, binaural is my fifth favorite album uh, behind Yield. I originally have it rated as a 3.5 out of 5 iTunes stars. And after listening to it, for this season, I have bumped it up to a 3.9, so it is still in that position right behind Yield. And yeah, it, it could be the influence of the album art, uh, also the production style of it, uh, new producer and everything, but this album does seem very dark. A lot of times the album art does sort of influence how the album sounds to me, uh, especially you know, back when I was younger and stuff and would be looking at the CD as I was listening to the song and everything like that. Like, um, Gish from Smashing Pumpkins sounds purple to me. It has that sound, uh, 
versus sounds sort of dirty orange like the uh, like the CD. Ten sounds kind of maroon, purplish like the uh, like that album there. So you know it could be that binaural sounds darker in sort of tone to me because of of that. Um, along with Riot Act, uh, to at least to my ears, in my opinion, and it could just be influenced by that. But, uh, but like Thomas says, it does sound, you know, kind of darker or murky or something like that, which is very interesting considering the binaural approach to the songs that are recorded, mixed binaurally. Um, there's no real overdubs on those. I think there might be some vocal or something like that. I don't. I don't really think that they would use the live vocal takes on those just because it's hard to block out some of the bleed from other instruments, you know, if you're there performing live with, you know, everybody in a circle and stuff like that around the uh, the microphone. And, you know, you can't really get that head microphone to get your voice unless, you know, you're standing right in front of it. And, you know, it's, I don't know. It could be that microphone too has, you know, a frequency response that makes everything sound a little bit darker too. But overall, I do think this is a good album. I like it. It does a good job of adding in quality songs to the catalog, songs that I think that most fans will have a couple of songs. It's like, oh yeah, there's some, there's a couple of those, you know, binaural songs that really, you know, especially probably uh, uh, Light Years or Nothing As It Seems, at least being um, deeper cut favorites just across the fandom. And of course, there is a little um, awkwardness, I think, there with uh, Matt joining the group with this album, trying to uh, find their footing, I think, with uh, with him as a new member. And then as we get on to a riot act, we have another new member joining the ranks. So, hey, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that next week on the podcast as uh, we open up, we start the prelude of the riot act season with the introduction. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, follow social media, Better Band Pod, all that sort of stuff. Just thanks everybody for listening. And uh, I think that's it. So stay safe out there. Happy Pride Month. And as always, this is Brandon saying, Hi, um, let me have one of those porno magazines, a large box of condoms, a bottle of old Harper, a couple of those panty shields, and some legal fireworks, and one of those disposable enemas. And uh, make it two.